Greetings, welcome to today's reading, 365 Bible reading for January the 5th. Let's pray. Father God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and everything, all the glory to go along with your reading and your word. Thank you for this rainy days, Lord God, that resources are pouring down from heaven. We thank God for where we're at, and you pour down resources on us unexpectedly, Lord. We thank you for loving us as we dive into your word. You bless us because treasures follow your word. Treasures follow your will, Lord. Thank you for blessing us with time, energy, and your love to, to seek your word and establish it in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 11 to 13 verse 4. I pray that the music's not too loud. It's in the other room. It's called uh, Borak Algil or something like that. It's supposed to be good for the DNA. So here we go. In Genesis 11, uh, the Tower of Babel was most likely a ziggurat. Ziggurats were commonly used as temples in Babylon at this time. They looked like pyramids with steps or, or ramps leading up the sides. Ziggurats were up to 300 feet tall and often just as wide. This made them the focal point of the city. The Tower of Babel was a great human achievement, a wonder of the world, but it was a monument to the people themselves rather than to God. It was a monument of their own greatness, something for the whole world to see. We too may build monuments that call attention to our achievements. Clothing, nice homes, private schools, big churches, even great service projects. Huh. These may not be wrong in themselves. They even might be good. But when we use them to establish identity and self-worth, we displace God. We are free to succeed in many areas, but we are not free to replace God. What cigarettes, cigarettes, Z-I-G-G-U, rats, R-A-T-S. Zigging rats, have you built in your life? I probably do too much service work. You know, that's my identity. Yep, I'm guilty. I did it. And today I took the day off. After 10 years, over 10 years of service, going over there in the rain, taking tables and chairs and so forth. Today I said, huh, I'm just going to relax and read the Bible. The rain is just a little too much. Besides that, we have younger personnel out there taking care of the meetings. Thank God for elected people. Here we go. Genesis 11. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylon and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keeps us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower of the people were building. Look, he said. The people are united and they all speak the same language. 
After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. This is the account of Shen's family. After two years... Well, hang on a minute. Let me see if we have anything to say more about the Babel. 11, 3, and 4. Whatever else the Tower of Babel might have represented, it was a mighty monument to human pride. It was a symbol of man's rebellion against the revealed will of God. This type of pride is always destructive to human community and to the process of recovery. The Tower of Babel incident records the progression of broken communications that began back in the Garden of Eden. After sin entered the world, Adam and Eve began to hide the truth. They tried to blame each other and God for their mistakes, which resulted in separation from God and barriers between the first couple. The sinful pride of the people of Babel caused another great rift in human communications. Numerous languages now divided them into various groups, making their cooperation difficult, if not impossible. But the story doesn't end there. God is in the business of restoring broken communications. He chose the people of Israel and spoke to them, giving them his laws. His son was born through this nation so he could speak to us and walk among us. And when the Holy Spirit came, the diversity of language was no longer a barrier to communications, Acts 2, 5 and 12. God's program is designed to enhance our communications with him and with the people around us. And what Fernando says, I thank God I'm a mess up. I thank God for my life just the way it is. I thank God for good things, bad things, anything that's happening. It keeps the communications open with God and it keeps my pride, ego, arrogance, and it keeps me in restoration mode, which is an awesome thing to be in. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the continuing reading, we'll go back to our reading. Verse 10. This is the account of Shem's family. Two years after the great flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arpachsad. After the birth of Arpachsad, Shem lived another 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachsad was 35 years old, he became the father of Shelah. After the birth of Shelah, Arpachsad lived another 403 years and he had other sons and daughters. When Shelah was 30 years old, he became the father of Eber. After the birth of Eber, Shelah lived another 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber was 34 years old, he became the father of Peleg. After the birth of Peleg, Eber lived another 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg was 30 years old, he became the father of Rewe. After the birth of Rewe, Peleg lived another 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Rewe was 32 years old, he became the father of Serug. 
after the birth. When Sarul was 32 years old, he became the father of Sarul. When Ru was 32 years old, he became the father of Sarug. After the birth of Sarug, Rehu lived another 20, 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarug was 30 years old, he became the father of Nahor. After the birth of Nahor, Sarug lived another 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor was 29 years old, he became the father of Terah. After the birth of Terah, Nahor lived another 119 years and had other sons and daughters. After Terah was 70 years old, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Ekash were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran. But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son's Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son's Haran's child, and moved away from Ur to the Chal of the Chaldeans, he was headed to the land of Canaan, but he stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. Chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all of his wealth his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran. He headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants, and Abram built an altar there and dedicated to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west, i.e. to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, let's kill him, then we can have her. So please tell them that you are my sister, then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. 
And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. Sarai's. When, when the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Aram out of the country, along with his wife and all his possessions. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages towards Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped there. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshipped the Lord again. Wow. A relationship with God is a two-way street. Comment, note. Here is there to help us. He is there to help us, but he expects us to follow his plan. When God called Abram to leave his country and his people and go to the land that God would show him, God promised to guide him, but Abram had to step out in faith. God had promised to be with us as we seek his help in recovery, but he may also ask something of us. As with Abram, God may call us away from the familiar world that drags us down. If we want to progress, we will need to follow his plan. Change people, places, and things. As Abram and Sarai approached Egypt, Abram, Abram began to fear of the Egyptians would kill him so he could take his beautiful wife. So Abram and Sarai spun a lie to protect their relationship. They said that they were brothers and sisters. This was a half-truth. They actually were half-siblings. But it should be recognized that a half-truth is a whole lie. And like most lies, this one backfired, almost destroying Abraham and Sire's marriage. Total honesty is an essential part of recovery. We need to be careful to avoid doing what Abram and Sire did, even though they did it with the best of intentions. Dishonesty never pays. We should never try to rationalize in it. You know, it's amazing. A Abram must have thanked God for the problem. And God blessed them with gold and silver and donkeys and camels. And he kind of like looted the Egyptians. He asked me. Amen. And with that... Let's go ahead and move to the New Testament, please, in Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew, from Matthew 5 to chapter 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus grew it, gave it, excuse me, Jesus gave it on a hillside near Capernaum 
This sermon probably covered several days of preaching. When Jesus announced that the kingdom was near, Matthew 4.17, people were naturally asking, how do I qualify to be in God's kingdom? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenged the proud and legalistic religious leaders of that day. It called them back to the messages of Old Testament prophets who, like Jesus, taught that the heartfelt obedience is more important than legalistic observance. Jesus said that God's kingdom has different priorities than worldly kingdoms do. Citizens of God's kingdom seek different blessings and benefits, and they have different attitudes. In the kingdom of heaven, wealth and power and authority aren't very important, but faithful obedience is. What sort of blessings do you seek? Are you chasing money, prestige, and influence? Or do your attitudes reflect the values of the kingdom, the humility, service, and sacrifice of Jesus? Whoa, how about both? God is a good God. He gives us both. (laughs) All righty. Let's go ahead and read the chapter now. One day... As he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountains and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my follower. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make salty again? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the Smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the the least commandments and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warned you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject for judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are pretending sacrifice, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go and reconcile to that person. Then come and after offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Amen. The reading of God's word. Praying the Psalms. We pray Psalm 5 to commit our hearts to no one but God. We take pleasure and refuge in worshiping God and in following Him. Amen. Lord, we commit our hearts to you, no one but you, God. Lord, we take pleasure in singing songs and worshiping you and praising you and following you and having our confidence in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Reading of Psalm 5. O Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For I pray no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I, I may bring my request to you and wait expectantly. O God, you take no pleasures in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence. For you hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. Lead me in, in the right path, Lord of my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. My enemies cannot speak a truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is fall like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. O oh God, declare them guilty. Let them be caught in their own traps. Drive them away because of their many sins, for they have reveled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyfully. Praise forever. Spread your protection over them. That all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord. You surround them with your shield of faith 
and love. Amen. Now reading from Proverbs chapter 1, 24 to 28. I wisdom called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you didn't pay attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered, so I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when your disaster overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone, and anguish and distress overwhelm you, when the, city, when the cry for help, I will not answer. Though the anxious before me, they will not find me. Amen. Thank you so much for coming in today's podcast. Let's go ahead and pray out. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. It's working, folks. Commentary on chapter 5, Matthew from the Recovery Bible. We cannot experience God's blessed recovery without true humility. Pride often stands in the way of our dealing with painful problems and destructive dependencies. If we cannot admit our problems and sins, there can be no real cure for us. When we humbly humble ourselves before God, we mourn and grieve over our mistakes and losses. As we do this, we will experience the wonderful comfort that only God can offer us. See 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5. Anger and lust are two dangerous pitfalls that threaten all of us in one way or another. Intense emotions and desires must be dealt with from the inside out. Those of us burning with rage, lust, or some other addictive behavior generally think we can control it, but we eventually and invariably lose control. Jesus showed how the patterns of anger and lust are serious and far too powerful for us to control alone. We begin the path towards victory by admitting that we are powerless and looking to our powerful God for help. Woohoo! I thank God I'm a misfit. God can do it. I let him. I don't let my pride keep me from saying it. Amen. Let's go ahead and move forward uh, on the 12th step. And let's consider step nine. Making peace, the recovery Bible is acknowledging. Bible reading, Matthew 5, 23-25 says, We may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. We all suffer brokenness in our lives, in our relationship with God, and in our relationship with others. Brokenness tends to weigh us down and can easily lead us back into our addictions. Recovery isn't complete until all areas of brokenness are mended. 
Jesus taught, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifices there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. The Apostle John wrote, If someone says, I love you, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? 1 John 4, verse 20. Much of recovery involves repairing the brokenness in our lives. This requires that we make peace with God, with ourselves, and with others, whom we have alienated. Unresolved issues in relationships can keep us from being at peace with God and ourselves. Once we go through the process of making amends, we must keep our minds and hearts open to anyone we might have overlooked. God will often remind us of relationships that need attention. We should not delay going to those we have offended and seeking to repair the damages we have caused. Amen. Glory to God in the highest. Thank you, God. And may God give us wisdom and tools to deal with these people. Now let us get ready. I figured if we heat up the situation gone long gone, if he, we heat them up by thanking God for what happened, we can break them up and distribute them and deal with them properly by thanking God for what happened. Either your fault, their fault, nobody's fault, just happened to be in the dumb place at the dumb time. Just start thanking God for it, and the cure will come. The fix-it God, he'll show up and fix it for us. It'll never be a problem again. In other words, it won't eat our lunch for today. We won't think of it. We'll be free of it. We will stop fretting, and it will settle down properly in Jesus' name. Amen, family. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, and we are working it.